Boss Man Mystery Men. It's a great film. Is that Romans 5 or 6? No, it's not. Okay. Wow. That's actually 7.5. Wow. to keep him on point. Called out. I really do need to be on point. He's the one that said there was too much Because there's so much to go through today. Okay. Review. Tell me about Romans 5. Tell me about Romans 3 and 4. Let's go. Who's got Romans 3 and 4? Who remembers last week? I was thinking last week. Well, then you're excused. By the way, per request, we are recording the session. Um, and so, um, so if you want it, you can you can have it. Are you gonna put it on live stream? Was it Rachel's? Is Rachel the one that asked? What happened? You should. Were you the one that asked if we could record? No, I was. Yeah, well, is it recording? Yes. Yes. We are recording. So all, oh, all of the unnecessary noise has been captured on the recorder. Yeah, oh, well, all of the, everything we've said in the, over the last like 10 minutes has been... You should have not told her. Yeah, 7 minutes, 21 seconds, actually. But I can but I can edit it. <laughs> I know what Roman's doing for. Is it recording yet? Yeah. <laughs> it, it is recording. Just so you have to talk I shouldn't have told you because because now you're all going to be like... No, I'm not. I don't care. I, don't I can listen to this while I walk across America. Okay, so I have something right now. Yes, you can. Go ahead. Yeah. The gospel message is all about the glory of God. Yes. But the way that God chose to glorify Himself was to save us. That's correct. That is Amen. very good. So, Ooh, like um, the good. first the first part of Romans three is an argument with a fictitious Jew, which sounds like a like a novel title or something. <laughs> um, um, where he is arguing back and forth about the the reality that he, that the Jewish people are just as as bad off as the Gentiles when it comes to salvation, that they're blessed because of their heritage, yes, but that is not enough to get them into heaven. It's not enough to save them, and so they need the gospel just as much as the Gentiles do, and that's what the whole first part there is. Okay, And then we get about halfway through, and he says, but now, the righteousness of God is made manifest. Remember, we connected back up with Romans chapter 1, verse 16, and the whole thing in between has just been an argument with a fictitious Jew about, about how both Jews and Gentiles need the gospel. And now we're going to connect back up. Okay. And so now the righteousness of God has been made manifest. Um, in, the, in this, okay, and there were several points in there. Number one, it's a righteousness apart from the law. Okay. We have to understand that. This is, this is the righteousness of God. It's apart from the law. Number two, it, it was witnessed to by the Old Testament scriptures. So this is something God's been talking to his people about all along. But that you know we that they didn't understand until now until Jesus okay um, number three it is God's righteousness not our own we didn't earn it couldn't buy it or pay for it we can't get there ourselves God is giving us His righteousness number four it is by faith not by works okay so we receive it through faith and not by anything that we do to receive it it's not something that we okay and number uh, um, five or whatever the last one. <laughs> It's both. It's to everyone who believes. So it's both Jew and Gentile. All right, that's very important. He's laying it out. This is how salvation works. It is. It's apart from the law. It's been prophesied in the Old Testament. It is God's righteousness given to us by faith, not by anything that we do. And it is for everyone. It's available to all who will believe. Okay, that's that is the gospel in a, just a little thing. Okay? Got to get that. Paul does that over and over and over again in the book of Romans where he says here it is. Boom, 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 boom. And we need to know those things. Okay? Um, And then he goes on to talk about 
how about why God had to do it this way. And that's where we got into talking about the glory of God. Okay, because his primary, uh, pro- his, his highest priority, his primary priority, he doesn't think it's it, his, his, his number one priority, the top thing on his list, the one thing God cares about the most is his own glory. And we have to understand that, that this is about God's glory. Now, something we didn't talk about very much last time, which we will have more occasions to talk about later on, uh, but that I want to just touch on real quick is that we have to understand what God's glory is. It is who He is and what He's like. That is what God's glory is. What He is doing is displaying His nature. It's the display of His nature and the very fact of who He is. Not just the display, but the actuality of who He is that, that is important to Him. In other words, God will not be let, will, will not act not like himself. He will always act like himself. I should have said it without the double negative. He will always act like himself. Always. He cannot act different than he is. His nature cannot be changed. If his nature changes, the universe ceases to exist. Because the universe exists, why? Exactly. The universe was created to display the reality of who God is to display God's glory, and we and all of the other creatures in the universe were created to see and enjoy and reflect the glory of God. Okay? The universe exists as it is to show forth, to shine out the glory of God, and we exist to see it and to enjoy it and also later, not yet so much, although a little bit, to reflect it. Okay? To okay. be our self-displayers. So, knowing that as the primary truth of all things, that that is the most important reality in the universe. Okay, we have to understand that. This is why God had to do things the way he did. He had to... Um, Jesus, God is, one of the realities of his glory, one of the primary things of his nature, is he is a... For he is a, a um, he is just, okay. He cannot allow sin to go unpunished. He cannot, because that's who he is. He's just. Sin must be punished. Anything that deviates from the nature of God and falls short of the glory of God, Romans three twenty three, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Anything that falls short of His glory, that doesn't match up with His glory, that doesn't that isn't perfectly in sync with his glory, cannot exist in his universe. Because if it does, it doesn't jive. It causes problems. It's like introducing, well, let's, let's take, you know, cancer as a, as a for instance, okay? Our cells are constantly in our bodies reproducing all the time. And every single one of them carries our exact DNA. Okay? Cancer is a cell that mutates. It changes the DNA code. Okay? And all of a sudden, there is something in our bodies that does not have our DNA. And it begins to grow, and it begins to infect, and it begins to spread. And so there is something in us that is contrary to the DNA, which informs all of our systems. Okay? It's, it's, it's an alien thing that is working against the base code upon which 
Everything that happens in your body happens. Is this making sense to you? Okay? Sin is the same way. The entire universe carries the DNA of God, the glory of God. And sin deviates from that DNA just a little bit. doesn't even have to be a lot, just a tiny bit. And when that happens, it's a cancer that infests all of creation with this, you know, this thing. It's like the wrong note in a chord. It's like, you know, and just messes everything up. And God will not allow it to exist. Cannot. It's, he can't. He does not have the ability to abide sin. He can't. However, also in his nature and in his glory, another aspect of his glory is that he is a forgiver of the ungodly. Now, how those two things don't jive. They don't jive. He cannot abide sin, but he forgives ungodly people. What? They don't jive until the cross. The cross makes it possible for God to be God in the universe. So good. It had to happen. It had to happen. And say we're going to even go further than that. About about that reality. Okay, and then... And then we talk about how Abraham and David and all of those in the Old Testament that were, that, that were forgiven of their sins were forgiven the same way you and I are, by faith in the, in the provision that God was going to make. We look back to the cross, they looked forward to the cross. Yes? Um, I have a professor at Southeastern who used to say that she thought that, and I just want your kind of opinion on this because it kind of goes to what you said, that the cross went forward and backwards, like it the did. blood, and that it covered Abraham. I just, I had, she didn't really, like, I asked her for biblical evidence of that, and she didn't necessarily. Right remember. out of Romans 3. I don't know, I just. God had been forgiving sin since Adam and Eve for those who repented with faith. And. But how did he have the power to forgive that sin without the cross? He didn't until the cross. But the beautiful thing is that Jesus is an eternal being. He exists outside of time. And so his death covers all of time. So past and and future. Holy cow. Like God doesn't exist in time. No. He exists outside of time. He exists in time as well. Time does not affect him. So the cross covered all of the things in the beginning. Everyone who's ever had faith in that God would make a sacrifice. Do you remember when Abraham's walking up Mount Moriah with Isaac? And Isaac says to him, Dad, we didn't bring a sacrifice. What did Abraham say? God will provide a sacrifice. If you read the original Hebrew, what he actually said is God will provide himself a sacrifice. Abraham was by faith saying... God is going to pay for for these sins. God will. He was prophesying about Jesus. God will provide himself a sacrifice. Did Abraham know the full picture? No, he didn't. He didn't know the full picture, but he knew the God he was depending on. That's getting me. (laughs) He knew this God. He believed that this God would not go back on his promise. If you read Hebrews and um, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to be studying that this year together, but if you read the book of Hebrews, it says that Abraham went up the mountain knowing that either God would stop him somehow from sacrificing Isaac, or he would raise Isaac from the dead after Abraham had killed him. 
that Abraham did not care what the reality, the circumstances were that he was in, God would not go back on his promise and he knew it. And that is where it says Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. It was Abraham's knowledge of the glory of God that enabled him to say, God will provide himself a sacrifice. I am not worried, Isaac. That's so, so good. That's kind so of they the question. that faith, and did they still have, why did they still have to make sacrifices? Well, that was their, that was, that was an act of faith that okay. they were doing when they sacrificed. So this goes along with the... Yeah, the Bible says over and over again, even in the Old Testament, that the blood of bulls and goats does not cover sin. What they were doing was they were doing a prophetic act saying we, we put our trust not in the blood of this animal but in the provision that God is going to make through the true and better lamb than this one. That was what was going So the cross kind of answers the question for all of the past like Old Testament people that people are like, oh, well, did this person make to heaven? Did this... The well, we still don't know who had faith and repentance. We don't know who, who did it, but we know but that we, the people that did, at least. We know some faith. people that did. We know Abraham did. We know that David did. But those are the only ones the New Testament really attests. Now, that's not true. In Hebrews, there's a whole list of people, but yeah. still. Um, that answers the question of the cross. That I yes. Didn't know that it the cross all the answers all the questions. Oh, I, if, they, if, if I can get you guys to love the cross, then I have done a great job. Um, okay, okay, chapter 5. Alright. Well, the way the water works. Yeah. Um, I'm, whew, all right. Shiraz, thanks for that question, because I really liked where we went with that. It's so... Uh, I wasn't uh, trying to distract. No, no you're not distracting at my, all. It's just my, my um, Old Testament survey teacher was very cut and dry, very long. She was very just about the laws, and she never explained that to well, me in a, like, a loving, the old cross way. It was just kind of a like, like Abraham, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, yeah. I guess if you're teaching Old Testament survey, you're not very... Old Testament survey she was, was so the bane of my existence. I oh, she was such a dry teacher. I just, it's not, I'm actually getting a lot of She had three like, doctorates. I hope you're enjoying it. I I'm hate it. I, like, I hate history. Because I like history. I loved what I was studying. I didn't like my teacher. She had three doctorates, and she was just so... Well, three doctorates automatically means you're boring. <laughs> she had three doctorates. <laughs> I heard a guy at the House of Prayer talking about it, and he said, I think the more you've studied, the more you should tremble. And I was just like, yes. Because the more you know. She just taught it so lovelessly. The more you see, the more you see this beautiful God in his word, the more like you should just be like, weeping. Just like, Yeah, that's how I was taking the Old Testament survey, and she just taught it like it was just... Just a normal history class? Yeah. That's what she taught it. What she was doing was saying, it I'm so wasted on this class. It's so funny because so many people loved her too, but I just didn't. <laughs> okay. No now, chapter five. I just didn't. So chapter five. Since we have been justified by faith, we have made peace with God. That's the very first line of chapter five. And that, that is so huge. There, there are mountains in this chapter that I am barely going to be able to even point at and go, look, a mountain, okay? And this is one of them, okay? <laughs> we have been, we have made peace with God, okay? That's unbelievable 
that the, the incredible blight upon the universe that is my personal sin, okay, has been expunged, destroyed, it's gone. My debt is paid, okay? This is unbelievable. It's un we have made peace with God. The full total wrath of the eternal God should be poured out personally on me. I deserve all of hell for all of time. That's what I deserve, and that's what you deserve. But no... We have been justified by faith, so we have made peace with God. That's unbelievable. That's mind exploding. If you spend five minutes thinking about that for real, your nose will bleed. I'm just telling you. <laughs> I, I, I'm just, if we truly understand, first of all, the worth of the glory of God, when we get that, okay, then sin actually looks as horrible as it is. And the fact that we are humanly incapable of understanding the worth of God, okay, God's worth more than the universe. I like going to fall off my chair. Just that statement right there is, is more true than I can possibly get it across to you. You have to receive divine revelation of this, of this reality. You just do. Ask for it. God, show me your worth. And then prepare for like, you know... That bad really. stuff to happen. Like, you know, I mean, not bad stuff, but just like unbelievable, like, bah! you know, one of my favorite verses is, is Ezekiel, after he has the first vision of God, he just sits on the edge of the river for a week. <laughs> That's all he did for seven days. Just, and people are like, what happened? And he's like, wheels, animals, four faces. Uh, you know, <laughs> Ezekiel was just—he's just okay. We just can't imagine what it must have been like to see. You know, you know, it's just we can't. And that's like just one little—you know—he just got this tiny little—you know—of a glimpse. You know, maybe more than what we've had. But the Bible says that. All the people in the Old Testament, everything that they saw all together was just shadows. We don't come to the mountain covered with fire. We don't come to the, the, the covenant mediated by angels. We come to a covenant mediated by the, the uncreated son of the living God. We come to something bought by the blood of Jesus himself. And that's what we have. So when, when we like come like, I wish I could have a, a vision like Ezekiel. What? Are you kidding me? Ezekiel would be like, no, you don't want what I had. I want what you have. And we don't get it. We don't. Because we have so much more than they ever had. I mean, just un way more. God, the justice of God is satisfied, the wrath of God is nullified, our debt is paid, we've got no record anymore, come on now, <laughs> it's so good, and this can only happen by faith in what Jesus did on the cross, we look at what Jesus did and we go, I, yes, that can save me, boom, gone, God, Jesus takes our record and puts it on himself. <laughs> and he takes his record and puts it on us. 
Okay. So it's like a, it's like a, um, like an alias, if you will. Like we have the record. So go. We have the record of someone yes, that we aren't. Yes, we do. We do. Like if you FBI searched me, I would show up as Jesus Christ. And yes, exactly. Christ. When God looks at Sophie, He says, "Look at my son." Thank God. Is that good? He doesn't say, "Oh, she's screwed up." He <laughs> He says, "It's my son in whom I'm well pleased." Is that dog. I know, right? And we didn't earn this. This is a gift. It was given to us. We couldn't ever even try. And the truth it is, if great. we try and earn it, we lose it. Oh, snap. When we get to Galatians, we'll talk a lot about that. Because that's what the book of Galatians is all about. There is a verse in Galatians... Which will give uh, that it'll make your ears and your nose bleed. Okay, if you okay, it says those of you who are trying to be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Boom. Those of you, what? I think it's Galatians five four. Those of you who have been who have, you might be wrong about that verse, but those of you who are attempting to be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. That is just. I mean, I have no, I can't breathe. It's like, all right, what, what, what? Okay. Okay. Where are we in chapter 5? We're in verse 1. <laughs> but we're going to verse 2 now. Okay. I love it. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Verse 2 through 5, okay, is, is uh, we're going to, we're going to. Verse 2 through 5, we're going to now. Okay, so. Because we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. But wait, there's more. Because that's, that's, that's literally what Paul is saying right now. That's what I've been telling you for the last three chapters, four chapters. Because uh, you believed in, you know, we've been justified by faith. You have peace with God. That's, that's, we've, we got to zero. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, all of our, we had all of this deficit. Jesus came in and said, not anymore. And okay, now we're at zero, but we get more than that, okay? We're not just getting zero, because, okay, this is what a lot of Christianity does. This is seriously what a lot of Christianity does, and I'm getting up because I need to, okay? This is what a lot of Christianity does, okay? Uh, I'm a sinner, I come to Jesus, okay? And much of the church, they totally get the whole idea of Jesus forgave all my sins, okay? But they stop there. It's like Jesus came along, oh, Sam, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to clean you up. Now go and don't screw up again. And we're back on our own recognizance. We're back in law again. And oops, you better not screw up because then you're going to be in real trouble. Because I forgave you once. I don't know if I'm going to do it again. That's what most of the church would teach. And that's how most of the church operates. That's how most of the church, that's how most of us feel most of the time. That we have come up to a place, we got washed, and now you better keep your nose clean, right? That's, that's kind of how it feels, isn't it? That's kind of where we're at. That's how we all feel a lot of the time. And I get it. I, trust me, I understand why pastors and teachers preach that. Because they don't want people going, it doesn't matter, I'm totally free. They don't want people to go to the license. Remember we, talked, license about, we talked about legalism and license. And they don't want people running off into license. And that's good. We don't want them to. But they, they feel like, and I struggle with this too, honestly. 
I really do, as a preacher. And I fully understand. I love the gospel. I'm not going to say I fully understand the gospel. But I love the gospel. And I love that I don't want to go to license and I don't want to go to legalism. What happens is that I see people who are stupid. Okay? And I say, if I tell them that it's not about their record, they're going to say, okay, I can do what I want. And they're going to run off and they're going to do stupid things and then I'm going to have to clean up the mess. And I'm, I don't want to do that. And I'm scared to death that people are going to, you know, I preach to teenagers. And so I'm constantly, I have to battle with myself not to run to the law and say, you do left, you're going to hell. Okay, that's because that's, I would love to, you know, part of me would love to be able to say that to them. Look, if, if you do that, you know, but, but that's not gospel and we have to preach it right. And Paul is going to get there in a minute where he helps us understand that law will never help us be free from sin. Never, ever, 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 ever. And it does, it's, we love the grace of God to forgive us of our past sins, but when it comes to the future, we have to stay in grace. And that's where he's going right now, okay? You need to write a book. Verse 2 through 5. Well, I, I don't have to. It's all right here. Um, verse 2 through 5. I, I'm actually planning on writing some books. I don't know if I'll ever be able to write this. I think God really gifted you with that. Verse 2 through 5. We have also, by faith... Okay, so we have made peace with God, but we have also, by faith, gained access into the grace, listen to these words, by which we now stand. Okay? We haven't left grace behind. Grace didn't bring us to this place and drop us off and keep going. We are still on the bus. That's really good. And we have to get that. Because... This isn't just what brought us here and we keep, you know, and, and okay, I'm dropping you off at righteousness and now you better stay here. No, this is, I'm on this bus forever. I never get off the grace bus. I just don't. This is where I stay. In this place, in grace, I have to stay here. It's a free gift. That's why I got the, but wait, there's more. Not only do you have peace with God, but wait. Okay, so, um... <laughs> Okay, not only do we have peace with God, but now we gain gifts, free gifts, graces, okay? Remember, grace just means free gift. That's all it means. In the original language, it means free gift. This comes to you for free, without being earned. This is yours, okay? Um, and here, then he lists off a few things. The first one is that we are, in, we are standing in grace, which means the place of full acceptance and favor. In the eyes of God, we have literally been made his children. And I forgot to look up the verse. It's in 1 John. It says, how amazing is the love of God which has been lavished upon us that we would be made the sons of God because that's what you've been made. You've been made the children of God. Grace made you that. Grace made you a child of God. Now we think, uh, you, know, you need to understand, especially here, what it looked like in the Old Testament to be a child of someone else. Because it's not just, yeah, that's my kid. In, the, in Jesus' time, to be the son of someone was what that was your identity. Most people were spoken of as, and Jesus does it a couple times, he says, Simon, son of Jonah. Okay, 
People were known as the son of their father. The identity of your father was your identity. And everything he owned, you own. Everything you had, or he had, you had. And the authority that he has, you have. We've been made the children of God. We stand in a place of acceptance. It's not just, I love you, I accept you, but I adopt you. Somebody who has massive revelation on this is Heidi Baker. If you know who she is, she's a little crazy. She's a little crazy. But I, I listened to a sermon that she preached and she was talking about the orphan spirit. And she works with orphans in Africa all over the place. And she said, orphans are always stealing. And the reason they're always stealing is because they, they don't believe you're going to give it to them for free. They don't understand that everything that you have belongs to them. You know, they don't get it that, you know, they, so they'll steal food when all they had to do was ask for it and they could have it because it's theirs because you're my kid. You know, my kids can go to the refrigerator whenever they want and get whatever out of there and eat it because it's their food because I bought it for them because I'm their dad. They don't have to. All they have to do is ask me and they can have it. They don't have to steal it and hide it. Does that make sense? Okay? And Heidi was saying that orphans are constantly stealing things and hiding them and, and hoarding them because they don't believe that you're going to be providing for them tomorrow. And they don't believe that everything that you have now belongs to them anyway. They don't make that connect because their entire life they had to provide for themselves. But now we've been made children of God. We stand in a place of acceptance and favor. And everything that he has is available to us just via asking. We don't have to earn it and we don't have to steal it. It's just ours. Woo! That's why I'm not in for like, I love prayer meetings or whatever. But prayer meetings that has some sweaty guys like, You know, like, whatever, like, you don't need to do that. You don't have to like work your way to the anointing. Just step in. Because it's yours. Does that make sense? That's why when I pray for people, especially when I pray for people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which by the way is one of the grace gifts that's listed here in a minute, is the Holy Spirit. I totally de-hype it. Yeah. Um, when, I, when I was... A kid, and I got prayed for to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was five sweaty guys all laying hands on me, speaking in tongues at the top of their lungs, and going, "Receive it, receive it, receive it!" And I was just getting sweaty and going, rocking back and forth, going, "Oh, I'm getting seasick right now." Okay, and, and I hated it, and I never received it, and I was so mad at God because why doesn't He give it to me? And of course it does. Of course it does. And when you get to the place. You know, and so what happened was, this is actually how I, I prayed for three years to, to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and never did. I went up to every time they had gave an altar call for it, and people are, you know, and, and you know, oh, it's all over you. I'm like, shut up, I don't feel anything, you know, and it's just like, okay. I hate when people do that. And They're it, like, it's on you right now. And I'm like, really? You <laughs> cool. <almost> it. <laughs> That's great, I appreciate that, shut up. Okay, um, so finally, the, this, this, we had this night, and I'm like, and they're like, come forward to receive the baptism. And I'm like, no, not going to do it. And I had this conversation with the Lord in my chair. It's like, God, I'm not going up there again. I'm not going through that again. You know that I want 
the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Please just fill me. And he did. In your chair. Quietly, in my seat, with nobody around, nobody laying hands on me. I just received it. What's up? I just want to share, like, the coolest experience I've ever had of, like, a, a Holy Spirit, people getting filled in, like, a group setting experience, was we were at a church in Ohio, and um, they, they preached about the Holy Spirit, and the, they prot about the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, and at the altar time, everyone went alone. It was the most quiet. Nobody was praying in a microphone. Nobody was, we were encouraged to... Um, Pray quietly, mm-hmm. internally even, yeah. whispering. And like 30 people got baptized in the yeah. Holy Spirit. No one laid a hand on anyone. No one if was we, screaming. It doesn't come through. I, got, I, got, I, got, no no I know, like, exactly. No one was screaming. For, like, yeah. No one was yelling. It was the for most beautiful. Camps the yeah. presence of God was so and thick. You had to like, feel like, like push your yeah. way through it. Like, it was like, so, I feel like sometimes oh. we use laying hands on people to make it about us and not about God. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like, I mean, I think if there's just time and a setting, I think it's great when a leader and authority I helps a weak person. The laying, on, the laying out of hands is a biblical reality, mm-hmm. okay? But there's also a biblical way to do it. Yeah. yeah. And sweaty people screaming and making you rock back and forth is not. <laughs> Anyways, I've never forgotten that. It was like but, five years ago. That's how I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. One of the coolest ways, one of the coolest ways that I've ever ministered to anybody, okay? To receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I did it via text message. I'm, I'm awesome. not kidding. We were talking about baptism like of the Holy Spirit. There should be like a code for the like texting, but like okay. texting. Holy texting. Holy I don't know. Um, we were. We were. We were uh, oh gosh. This kid was asking me. He said. He said. I. I just. I'm in my Bible study. I just read Acts chapter two. And I know that we've prayed about this before. And I know you've talked about it before. But I've never received it. And I want to. And then his mom goes, we have to go. So he's like, I got to go, but can I text you? I was like, absolutely. So he's gone. And he's texting me over the next like 45 minutes or so. Okay, you know, what, how, do I, how do I do this? And I was like, I was like well, do, do you want to wait until Sunday or whatever where I can pray with you? He goes, can I have it now? I was like, well, yeah, you can. <laughs> can and he I goes, okay. And, I, and, and, and so I said, just pray. And I just kind of walked him through it, just real easy, step by step. And then he starts texting me, he goes, I'm saying something, and it sounds like this. And he texted me like what it, like the, what it sounded like, you know. And I was like, "Great, just keep going, man." You know? <laughs> I was just like, "I love this. This is great. You know, that's what I need to do." Yes. It was so great. I was like, "I love this kid." You ever heard that joke? Yes. Like, say it fast. Yes. Should what about Akia? Yeah. Oh. Alright, this is getting blasted. You never heard that? <laughs> Seriously? Oh man, yeah. Absolutely. That's on the recording, by the way. So is 16, so that's okay. So, these are the things we've been given by grace, okay? Full acceptance and favor in the eyes of God. The hope of the glory of God. Another mountain I just kind of have to point at in passing. because um, This is. It, it, we've been given. To experience, celebrate, and reflect the glory of God forever and ever. Ephesians 3.10. Somebody find it. Who has ESV? Find it in the ESV because it's better. I haven't gone and bought one yet. It's better in the ESV. Ephesians 3.10. Go find it. Do you want me to read it? Yes. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Okay, read that again. Okay. 
so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Okay. Okay. Where are those rulers and authorities? In heavenly places. Okay. So they're standing around the throne. Ooh. Right? They're standing around the throne. They're in heavenly places. They have a view to God. But who's going to make known the manifold wisdom of God to them? The church. What? Who's that? Holy cow. The people. Exactly. Oh, gosh. This is yeah, right? Okay. Does that blow your mind or what? Okay, we have seraphim standing before the throne of God. Holy, holy, holy. And now God is going, watch what I'm going to do. Watch what I'm going to do with the Little Masters Commission group in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And they're looking at you. And God is manifesting His glory through us, through broken, to the seraphim, to rulers and authorities and heavenly places that are standing around the throne going, holy, holy, God is going, I want to show you something new. Look at Sam. Now, it's nothing you did, buddy. It's the gift of God's grace that's in you. And, and they're up there going, oh my gosh, that's incredible. They're just like blown away by what God is doing in you, that God is God's wisdom is being made manifest to them through us. Ooh, that's so powerful. They're busted up, broken. Oh, well, I can't us. understand the Bible like this. Like this is so huge. Stuff. I don't. This is years and years of backbreaking. <laughs> Just going, God, show this to me, that's and nice chewing on it, stuff. and also listening. Why do this? Like, I, can't I can't tell you how many and and. I'm giving away what I was given for free because I can't tell you how much of this has come, not just from me pouring over Scripture, but also listening to people who have poured over Scripture and reading commentaries and listening to sermons and whatever. You know, this is, yeah. So I'm, I'm only, there's nothing special about me. I, it really isn't. I'm just giving back, giving to you what was given to me. And, I, and I'm excited to be able to do that. And I'm excited about it. It's so good. First Peter two nine. Somebody, somebody read that. It's very very similar, but I just want you to read it. First Peter two nine. Also in the ESV, please. I don't like it in the other, especially this one. Okay, quick question. This one is better. Yeah. Seraphim. Yeah. What exactly? Huh? They are the six-winged, four-faced angels covered with eyes that stand around the throne of God at all times. Well, they fly around. They don't stand. Yes, they fly around. So they look pretty awesome. Yeah. Go, go to Revelation chapter 4. We're actually going to get to I, see I them. Now, oh, yeah. Go to Revelation 4 and, and, and read about what? <laughs> no, I remember reading them now. Do you think they're just like... I have no idea how big they are. But I was at the call. Okay. You guys know what the call is? Bodybuilders. The call? Anybody know what the call is? Okay, it's a prayer meeting. They hold it in different places all over the country. like And, and it's like 12 hours or 14 hours of fasting and prayer. And I went to the call on 777, July 7th, 2007, in, in Atlanta. Or Atlanta? No, Nashville. Okay? And we, there was 40,000 people in a football stadium worshiping and praying from 9 o'clock in the morning to 9 o'clock at night. And it actually started at about 7 in the morning. At LC so. Field? Yeah. Wow. Unbelievable. That's a loud field. It was huge. It was amazing. It was so stinking hot. I can't even tell you. Um, but yeah, we're there, and we were just worshiping God for, t for 12 hours solid. We were just in there praying. And this prophetic guy gets up, and he goes, God is sending forth seraphim from heaven to teach worship leaders how to worship in the, in the manner of heaven. 
And I was like, I don't know how biblical that is. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But the, the moment he said that, okay. Did you actually stand up and say that? This, no, this, no, I didn't. Oh, okay. It's 40,000 people, even if I had. But that's what was going on in the back of my brain was, I don't know how biblical that is. Okay, I thought okay. that's kind of awkward. The moment he said that, okay, this is what happened. I, there was this pinch on the back of my arm, so right there. And I went and turned around, because there had been a lady standing there the whole day, who, like, who I know, it was, Bridget, it was Bridget Simpson, she was standing behind me the whole day, and I turned around, and there's nobody there. Shoot. And I was like, oh, you know, so we just kept running throughout the day, and the guy gets up again and says, I mean it, there are, there are heavenly worship angels coming to the worship leaders in the room, just receive the revelation God's giving you right now, and I'm like, whatever, as soon as he says it, pitch. Oh my god! And I, went, and I turned around and there's still nobody there, and all of a sudden it went, it went, oh my goodness. It's a seraphim. There's a seraphim behind me! And, I was like, <laughs> and then I just said, okay, Lord, whatever you have to say to me. And it was just like this really powerful time. Oh my and god. Ever since then, ever since then, it's almost like the worst meeting the retreat. There's times, there's, there's. If you turn around and it was literally. There are times that would have been cool. <laughs> But I probably would have wet my pants and like, you know, he would just be nice. You to probably me. would be catonic for the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was just blessing me, and I was like, I'm not going to show you myself because that would not be cool. So, yeah, I want to look upon the face. First Peter 2 First Peter 2 Ever since then, like, at just at different times, I, like, as I'm getting ready to lead worship or as I'm preparing a worship set or something, I'll feel that pinch on the back of my arm. Like, whatever. You know, like, just remember. You know, this is about bringing the worship of heaven to the earth. Go ahead. Okay, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, read the last part, that you may proclaim. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, it's the same thing. Peter is looking at the same thing Paul was looking at in, in Ephesians. This is who we are as the church. We are shining forth the glory of God into the universe in a way that has never been shown forth before. Isn't that great? Okay. That's the hope of the glory of God. <laughs> Number three. The reality that even our suffering is a means of God giving us free gifts. James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Okay. This, the, our suffering, okay, there's these glorious things, but then he goes, but let's talk about the stuff that doesn't feel so glorious. Because you stand in grace, because you stand accepted and with the favor of God upon your life, when bad things come, it is not the punishment of God. It is a gift from God. Because God's not mad at you anymore. You stand in grace. God's not mad at you anymore. I'm just going to prophesy that over you one more time. God is not mad at you anymore. You are as holy as Jesus in his eyes. That is an impossible thing to, deep, to deeply believe quickly. You have to spend some time with that. But that is... The, that is the testimony of Scripture that you have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is who you are. Therefore, God cannot be mad at you. He looks at you and is like, I love you. You're so great. 
Even when you screw up, He is not mad at you. He is not. And so when bad things happen, sometimes you feel like, well, I deserved this. No, you didn't. You're going back to law. Stop that. You didn't earn the goodness and you didn't earn the suffering. You don't earn anything anymore. Why do God have to what? say that? Because he sees everything? Like, Does he not? see it? No. So don't he sees that dead on the cross. Didn't we just talk about how Jesus is outside of time? When you oh got saved, gosh, all of your past and that? all of your future sins, forgiven, gone. It's like they say that, you know, God is like deeply hurt right now because of something I did, but how can he be? He's not. Oh my gosh. He was on the cross. That hurts. Told you <laughs> but he's not now. Now, is he is he desirous for you to understand what we're gonna talk about here in a few minutes? That that's not you anymore, that that's dead, and that you need to leave that behind and walk in the victory that he's already provided for you? Yeah, of course. He wants you walking in the victory that he's given to you. And that's, that's what chapter 6 is all about, okay? That's what chapter 6 is all about. He's going, look, that's not you anymore. That died. Now you act like me. Okay? The old you is dead. You've been revived. You have resurrection life on the inside of you, working its way out, okay? And now that's... That's who you are, so don't act like that anymore. And that's what chapter 6 is about. We'll get there in a minute. Okay. When suffering comes, when bad things come, okay, difficult times, sickness, whatever it might be, okay, all of them come as means of promotion, as means of, they are a means of grace to you. God is attempting to give you a gift and it's just been a little more difficult than you would like. Okay, I was in the worst season of my life that, I, that, that I've ever had. We had had a miscarriage. My job was terrible. I was up for a ministry job that I didn't get. Okay? And I was mad at God and I went to him and said, what are you doing to me? And this was the sentence that he reverberated through my spirit that has shaped my life, and I am going to write a book about this. I love you too much to let your comfort stand in the way of your destiny. Mm. Yeah. My first reaction was, that's not fair! <laughs> You're not allowed to say that to me. He was saying to me, the darkness and the difficulty that you're walking through right now is a gift from me because it's going to send you there. And I love you too much to allow your today's comfort to stand in the way of who I have for you to be. I'm not going to allow it. One of my favorite people to think about and talk about is John Nash. Does anybody know who that is? John Nash was a pastor. He was a, uh, a pastor right during the, uh, the Second Great Awakening, okay? And um, prior to the Second Great Awakening, okay, he had a disease that made him blind, completely blind, for like a number of months. In fact, the way this disease worked is he, if any light struck his eyes at all, it was incredibly painful. So he had to wear a black veil over his face 
for like six or eight months. And if he ate or did anything they had to remove the veil, he had to be in a completely dark room. So he had to stop ministry. He had to stop everything he was doing, all the things that his that were going on in his life. He couldn't spend any time with his wife or his kids. Okay, His life really sucked. I mean, it was bad. Okay, It was just terrible. But during that time, the only thing he could do was pray because he couldn't see. And through that time, God taught this man the secrets of prayer. If you, He never wrote anything. He didn't write a book, whatever. This is just, I'm getting this from other people like Finney, Albert Finney, who wrote about this man. Because later on, after he recovered from this illness and he could come out, okay, he carried such an anointing of prayer that Finney sent him ahead of him to every town he was going to go to. And Finney would not walk into that town until... John Nash wrote him a letter saying, the atmosphere is ready. You can come. Oh my gosh. Now, what if that disease had never struck him? It's not on that level. Exactly. He would never have learned to be the intercessor that he learned to be. And there's some crazy stories about him. Like, he would stay for the meetings until it was time for him to go to the next town. And he was standing at this church, and Finney was preaching, and there's just God's doing awesome stuff. But there was this group of kids who were just being completely hard and hated the gospel, and they were just wrecking the meeting. He walked over, and these guys were rough guys. They had, like, beat people up and killed people. He walked over to the leader and looked at him and said, Within three days, you will either be dead or saved. And walked so much. <laughs> Got saved, and so did all of his crew. <laughs> <laughs> Dead or saved? Wow. Yeah, I know, right? It's like, jeez, you know, with that, I love. Yes, that you have no choice. Yeah. You don't want to die. I love this guy. What do you do with that? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think he got saved. I think that's what happens. <laughs> but it was that period of suffering that was not that period of suffering was not a punishment from God. Do you see how it was a gift? And we have to see that too, even though it's really hard. I mean, okay, we had had a miscarriage. I mean, how could God be in that? That's not, that's not okay. You know, that hurt deep. But God was saying, trust me. I know what I'm forming in you, and this is what it takes. That's crazy. Our mom, our mom has me and Sophie's mom have four miscarriages, and there's four of us. And like, I don't think any of us after Sophie were supposed to be born. Hmm. So it's like, I never thought the about what she we got. went through with the. Oh, it hurts, especially because we've been trying to get pregnant for three years at that point. And then we were, and then we weren't, and that hurt. Okay. Um, God shows forth his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So that's the fourth thing that's listed as a gift, is the Holy Spirit himself, God himself. I don't think we understand the gift that he is. It's like, there's a mountain range, and we're going to keep walking. Verse 6. <laughs> <laughs> God worked, God worked all this for us while we still hated him. Oh, 
Paul reminds us once again that we did not, could not earn any of what we have by grace. Through faith in Jesus, worked. Jesus finished work on the cross. That's why we know that our hope will never disappoint us. He says that it's one of the, one of the, the ways that, when he talks about our character being changed by suffering, he says, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, which is the very nature and character of God himself. And character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint, because we know of God's love. We know who he really is, and we can believe. Okay? We know even in the darkest times of our lives, we can say God is up to something amazing. I don't know what it is, but he is. Okay. How do you have that perspective, though, without feeling guilty? Feeling guilty about what? Like, when someone else is suffering, or, like, someone else is lost, or death happens. Like, how... I just have a hard time like saying like God, like you're gonna use this to warn me without he feeling is. guilty. He is. That doesn't mean we don't grieve with people. God's not asking us not to feel sorrow. He's not saying it's not gonna hurt. He was saying, I know this hurts and realize it hurts. I get that. I feel that with you. He's not saying don't feel like it hurts. Uh, you know, or he's not even saying, I don't care that it hurts. But what he is saying is that what I have for you out of this is worth it. It's worth more than this pain that you're going through. The Apostle Paul, uh, I don't remember where it is, but he says, he says um, I consider that these present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in me. I understand how it could be worth the suffering, but how can it be worth a child's life? That baby's in heaven with Jesus right now. It doesn't mean it didn't hurt. It really hurt. But that's where that baby is. And we've given her a name. And we did, and we mourned her. We believe it was a girl we don't know. We mourned her, but she's with Jesus right now. And we'll see her. God doesn't trivialize our suffering. In fact, he honors it by giving us something that's worth our suffering. He doesn't ignore our suffering. He magnifies it. Because he saved us when we hated him, how much greater will he do now that we don't hate him? Because he, went, he came after us when we despised him, when we were shaking our fist in his face, and saying, we hate you. And he saved us anyway. He went all that way and did all that he did to save us even then. How can we not trust that now that we are right with him, he won't do so much more? Our hope will not disappoint us. Because now we're, we're no longer in that. 
we've been reconciled to God by the work of Jesus on the cross. And so what happens now is all hope. It's all, it's all hope. Verse 10. His death has justified us. His life will make us alive more and more. 2 Corinthians 4, 10 through 11. Who's got that? 2 Corinthians 4, 10 through 11. Anybody can read that one. Yeah, go for it. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus always may be manifested in our body. Yes. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Exactly. Okay. The life, the death of Jesus justified us. How many of you have seen those, how many of you have seen those, um, like, t-shirts that say, I'm dead, or I'm a dead man, or whatever, okay? Those, I hate those, I want to burn them all. Because you're not. Not anymore. You died with Jesus, that is true. But you did not stay there. You have been made alive in Christ with Him in His resurrection. And that means that the moment that you believed in Christ Jesus, and you died with Him, but you also rose with Him. Okay, yeah. Is that a question? Or are you just... No. Okay. You died with Him, yes. That's very true. But you also rose with Him. Okay, we were buried with Jesus in... in that's, that's what the symbol of, of, of water baptism is all about, is our burial. Okay. But we were given new life. And this is the way I like to say it. The resurrection life began in us. Our resurrection began when we got saved, but it's not over yet. We're in mid-resurrection right now. Okay? Human, the human person is made up of three parts. Body, soul, and spirit. Correct? Okay. What was resurrected first was our spirit. Okay? The Holy Spirit came into our dead in sin spirit and said, clear! Okay? And not actually. It actually recreated. He did a creative miracle and recreated our spirit inside of us. All which will never again be separate from the Holy Spirit. That's so good. He didn't come do that and then leave. He came and did that and stayed. Okay? And now, from in here, moving outward, it's 11.05, is that what you're asking? From in here, moving outward, the life of the, re- the, light, the resurrection life of Jesus was planted in us. Paul, or Peter calls it the imperishable seed. Okay, it was planted in us. We were given resurrection life in the center of who we are, and now it's streaming outward from the center of us. Okay? Our spirits are the part of us that communicate with God that, are, that, are, that, that is the most like God part of us, which is why when we sinned, it was the part that was the most dead. Okay? But now our spirits have been given new life, okay? resurrected completely. All right, let there be light. That's how Paul actually talks about it that way. That the same God who said, let there be light and brought light out of darkness has spoken to you, let there be light. New light has just exploded inside of us. Okay? And now, the next layer out is our soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions. 
Okay? That's the next thing out from our spirit. Imagine us as, you know, like one of those Russian dolls. Okay? And the middle one is our spirit, and the next one is our soul, and the outer one is our body. Okay? Our spirit has been resurrected, and our souls are mid-resurrection. Okay? That's what, when the Bible talks about being washed with the water of the Word, when the Bible talks about renewing your minds by the Spirit, by, by, you know, okay? That's what's going on right now, is our soul is in mid-resurrection. And the way we, we can help with that resurrection, by getting into the Word, by being in prayer, by pushing into the things of God, by faith, okay? And saying, I want more of this, we can accelerate soul resurrection to the point where we are going to, that's, that's how we get more and more and more and more and more and more holy the longer we're in Jesus. Because we have this internal radiator of the presence of God and of the Spirit of God inside of us moving outward, okay? And, and someday, our physical bodies, that outermost shell, will also be resurrected. But our resurrection doesn't all happen then. It started the moment you got saved. Resurrection begin. Okay, and now when Jesus comes the second time, it will be completed in us. We will not only have resurrected spirits, we'll have resurrected souls and resurrected bodies completely. But in the meantime, our souls are being resurrected. And that is what this time that you're in is all about. That's what, it, that's what we're doing right now, is we are... We are we're inviting the life of God to flow in us more and more and more. We're opening up more and more to the life of God and asking for that outflow of resurrection power to, to explode out of us. And the Holy Spirit does not leave us. He is there. He's the one breathing on the coals, you know, fanning into flame the realities that, that He wants to have happen. And we will bear the very nature and the character of God eventually. Come on, if you don't get excited about that, I don't know what you're getting It's all sinking in. Okay. His life will make us more and more like Him. Also, He is a living high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. That's Hebrews 7.25. I won't make you go there, but that's what it says about Him. So not only... Now, this is a great picture, too. This is, this is literally what's happening. Yes, Jesus is praying for us, but even more than that, Jesus is standing before the Father as our constant, never-removed sacrifice, covering us with His righteousness and not our own. That's, 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 both of those realities are what is talked about in Hebrews, whoever wrote Hebrews. There's, there's scholars nowadays that think it might have been a woman that wrote Hebrews. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I'm not really, I haven't really read into that. I just read like a headline. I've heard that. Um, so but that would be great. I'd love that. That would be the only book in the Bible written by a woman. I think that would be fantastic. Um, but anyway, whoever the writer of Hebrews was, okay, talks about Jesus ever living to make intercession for us. And what that means is, number one, he is praying for us all the time, which says, Jesus prays for me. That's a pretty awesome thing, okay? But also that he is standing before the Father at all times saying, remember my people. They are pure. They are holy because of what I did. He is a constant sacrifice by his blood before the throne of God on your behalf so that we stay in that place of grace and favor all the time. And... We rejoice in God. It says uh, the, at the end of verse, was it 10? 
for 11, I don't remember. More than that, we rejoice in God. God is the treasure. God is the reason. This is the good news. We get God. <laughs> the gospel wouldn't be the gospel if the end of it wasn't me face to face with God. John Piper says it beautifully. Jesus didn't die for me so I could play golf for eternity. <laughs> Jesus' death is worth far more than that. Jesus' death bought me the face of God for all of eternity. That's what Jesus' death bought me. It bought me face to face with my creator from now until forever. And that is amazing. All right. We have 17 minutes. And we're not even to chapter 6. Verse 12. <laughs> Verse 12. This is what happens. God's eternal plan for mankind. Okay. Oh. <laughs> All right. We've got to understand. All right. We just, we've got to understand. The sin of um, verse 12, and then we're going to go all the way, really, through the end of the chapter. Okay. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. First of all, he's saying that Jesus, Jesus' death on the cross goes all the way back to Adam. We talked about that today. The sin of, as the sin of one man brought sin and death into the world, death was set loose to all of Adam's descendants through Adam's sin. Okay, But now, the righteous life and the perfect death, the sacrificial death of Jesus undid all of what Adam's sin did. Okay? He got us kicked out of Eden and separated from God and, and the wrath of God on us. Okay? Jesus fixed that. But remember, it's more than that. He brought us here. Boom. Okay? So we go to verse 15. Okay? But the free gift is not like the trespass. Okay? We have to understand the power of grace has gone far beyond the power of sin. Way past it. The power of the grace of God is way more powerful than sin. Oh man, I so wish I could get the church to believe this. I so wish I could get the church to believe this. I wish I could get myself to believe this. Grace is more powerful than sin. Because we think of sin as this gigantic, unconquerable monster. And Jesus is going, you know, it's nothing. I defeated that and I went way beyond that. I know, know that I defeat sin, but now I have done way more than just give you Eden back. Because at the end of time, Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, we have more than Eden back. We have Eden back, and that's great. The Garden of Eden will be in the New Jerusalem, which is really cool. But then we got to spend the evenings with God every day. God, in Revelation 21, 3, it says, Behold! The dwelling place of God is with man. Okay, so it's totally different now. This isn't God coming down to visit. We are together forever. The new Jerusalem is what Jesus was shooting for, not new Eden. Okay, and he got way more. It's not just that we fixed what have we fixed that little Adam problem. No. Jesus says, no, I'm going to give them way more. That's what I'm going to do. And here's what we have to get through our thick skulls. Because we, because of, because uh, people have taught this forever, and it just makes, it's like, who are you? Are you an idiot? I just want to hurt you. It's that, that God kind of went, oh, no, what have Adam and Eve done? I should probably fix that. Right? I mean, that's kind of, isn't that kind of how it feels like? Oh, if only Eve had never eaten that apple, well, how where would we be today? We don't want to be glad that she did. 
That sounds weird, but be glad because that was plan A. That was, that's what God wanted to happen all along because He wanted Jerusalem for us. He didn't want Eden for us. He wanted Jerusalem for us, and this was how He was going to do it. Remember, God wanted to reveal the reality of Himself as a forgiver of the ungodly. If there aren't any ungodly people, who's He going to forgive? No, you shouldn't. You should be grateful. Wow. And I know that sounds terrible because of what sin unleashed on the world. Now, let me stop right here before your brains go there. No, God is not responsible for all the sin that happened. He can't be. He's not. That doesn't jive with him. No, it doesn't, does it? No, it doesn't. It does not. Okay? I know that's where your brains were going. Okay, because that's where my brain goes sometimes. And I'm like, wait, no, that doesn't make any sense. No, because who chose to eat the apple? Was it God? No, no, no he didn't. He knew it was going to happen, but he didn't make it. Happen. He knew it, but he didn't cause it. And we're getting to Calvinism. Yeah, I was just saying, that sounds like predestination, something. He knew it, but he didn't cause it. That's not predestination. Well, I mean, it is. He, he knows the choice that you're going to make of Christ Jesus. The question is, did he cause you to make that choice? No. Oh, I don't know. We'll talk about that later. We will get to Romans chapter 9. We really will. <laughs> no, definitely not today. But we will be doing that. This is not plan B. That is what you have to hear. This is not plan B. This is plan A. God knew what he was doing. Knew what he was doing all along. He had New Jerusalem in view and he was pressing on forward for it. He, he, this was all a part of the plan from the beginning. Because he could have just not put the tree there. You know but I mean? that would not have jived with him. Right. Because he's a lover. And lovers give a choice. And that, again, God has to act like himself. And because he has to act like himself, we end up with the universe we end up with. <laughs> and and the, the thing is that it, that makes it more beautiful, not less beautiful yeah. than it would have been. It does. We've got to understand that. There had to be a tree in the garden. There had to be. A choice. There had to be a choice. It had to be there. God is not able to not give us a choice. It's impossible for him to withhold from us the, the opportunity to say yes to love. He won't do it because he is love. It's like prayer, okay? Prayer is a stupid idea. Think about it for just a minute. Think about prayer. Wait a minute. You want me to ask you to take care of things you already know are a problem. And it's very clear in Scripture that God waits for us to ask. Why? Because we have to make choice. that choice. Exactly. Hallelujah. And not only that, He likes to talk to us every once in a while. Why well, you're not curious, why wouldn't you want to talk to us? Wow. Prayer is crazy, and when when we get when we go through, there's there's a there's a reality in Corinthians in Second Corinthians about prayer, 
that literally basically says that God won't do anything unless we've asked him to do it. And, that, and so there's a bunch of things God would love to do that he won't. We can't. There's promises that he made that he won't fulfill because we haven't asked him to. Yeah. Sometimes how are we supposed to know to ask for that we've asked for Because he put them in the book for a reason. Oh, those things. I think that, like, our own desires. But that applies to that, too, Katrina. Like, if God put a promise in your heart and then you just wait for it to happen yes. and never ask. Oh, so why do you think? Why do you think he communicated it to you before it came? Wait, he has to put the promise in your heart first. I was thinking before that. No, no, no. Okay. He he makes the promises of his own accord, but whether he keeps them or not, that that and he actually will eventually keep them, but he but not in the way he would like to, because we haven't asked him to. Look at one of my favorite pictures of that is Daniel. Okay, in Daniel, I think seven eight nine. Okay. Daniel's reading the book of Isaiah and he realizes, oh my goodness, we've been in captivity for 69 years and next year is supposed to be the year when we go when we come back out of captivity. And it doesn't look like that's happening. And so he goes back to God and says, hey, what are you doing? This is the promise you made. And God was like, thank you, finally, somebody asked me. And that is, then he gives Daniel revelation not only of the short term, future of Israel, which is return to the land of Israel and restoration of the temple and da da da, which he gives him he gives him, you know, he tells him that's gonna happen, my promise is gonna be kept. Thank you for asking. But then he shows him the history of Israel for the rest of time. In that one vision. He's like, Oh, I've been wanting to tell somebody about this for so long. Okay, here's what I'm gonna do. And it just, okay. <laughs> well, think about it. The Bible says that the day of vengeance burns in the heart of God. Do you know that there's a verse in Job that'll just, uh, or I think it's in Psalms. No, it's in Job. Okay? That God has literally had a storehouse of hail that he's been keeping for the day of judgment since the beginning of the creation. That means God has New Jerusalem in view and he's pushing on for it. Think about this. I love this. There's so many glimpses of it. Like God, it's like God is going, I can't wait. I can't wait. New Jerusalem is coming. And so I'm going to give you these little glimpses of it. Da, da, da. Okay. Joshua in the Battle of Jericho. Why, oh why, did he have to walk around the wall seven times and then stand there and blow a trumpet before they go into the city? Why? Why? Well, we're taught that it's just that he was obedient. That was That's true. God was just feeling. That's true. But why did God give him that plan? I figured he's just. Do you know what Jesus' name is in Hebrew? Joshua. And there's a time coming when Joshua will go around the earth a few times, and then with a shout and a trumpet blast, enter in to the planet. And knock down the walls of sin and take back what he's promised since the beginning. This was a prophecy. Mm. Oh my God. Yes, look at it. (laughs) Why do you think God did it that way? God was going, this is what I'm going to do. And do you know where he's going to start? Do you know where the valley of Megiddo begins? Armageddon, right? Right, right, right. That's intense. (laughs) Is that amazing? Everything that God does is like that. You can look through the Bible and see everything 
It's like future glimpses and. The Bible says that the Old Testament is all shadows and types of of Christ, and this is one. Holy cow! Is that good or what? Like, <laughs> I just now I, I picture not... Jesus like going around the earth, just like, and then like going into I don't know. I just it was kind of a cool. But you say you're going to see him riding in through the sky, so I know, technically I he is like, going to like... Just like sword yeah. Well, actually, in, in, in a couple different places in the Old Testament, it talks, about, it talks about Jesus making a triumphal procession through the sky around the earth before he sets foot. And he actually never even sets foot in the Valley of Megiddo. He just like steps in and just is like... And like all of the armies get melted by the brightness of his coming. So and then he actually, when he first, when he puts his feet down on the earth for the first time since he left, it will be in the exact same place where his feet were when he left. Beyond so the Mount of Olives. That during the Battle of Armageddon. So it's like, like the trans order. So, so we're going gonna... <laughs> to. So we're going to be here, maybe. You're saying that. We will be there. <laughs> We'll be either we'll either be on the earth or we'll be in the crowd that's with him as yeah, we come. So whichever way you think of the rapture, you I are gonna be there. Gonna be but it doesn't matter because I, I mean in the fight. But it, it says we'll be yeah, there. it doesn't matter. It's like, can I be in? So it doesn't matter yes, where. We will be there. Here's and the truth son, is in, in my view I'll get to you in just a minute. In my view of uh, of the end times, which I would I would love if if you guys Okay, if you guys ever want, I would I would be happy to teach. Like a revelation thing, because oh that would be fun. Okay. We totally can. Just you know, yeah. you I'm want. like post trib and like. Yeah, me too. I feel like not very many people are, and I'm like, where? How can you tell me? Anyways, not, we'll talk, okay? <laughs> because by the by the end of my class, everyone in here would be post trib. Just FYI, <laughs> is that if that's okay? Be right? what? <laughs> because it's the clear teaching of scripture. There's but anyway, oh, I'm, I'm done. All right, I'm just we're just gonna go back. But. But regardless of whether we get raptured at the beginning of the tribulation or, or we get raptured while Jesus is making that triumphal procession, which is actually what the book of Revelation says is going to happen, so a church will be raptured during that. Now, whether it's a church, whether it's just the people that have been saved since the tribulation started or the whole church, a church will be raptured during Jesus' triumphal procession around the earth. And once he has us all, then we... It's like he swoops us up. Go in. Yes. I want to fight. Well, <laughs> just relax. Like okay. We actually and aren't. We actually, we actually probably won't fight in the Valley of Megiddo. We may fight all around the earth prior to it. But we probably will not fight in the Valley of Megiddo because... Jesus is just going to melt everybody. Because it pretty much, yeah. That's pretty interesting. Talks about him coming down and everyone's like, gone. But he, and the Bible, I mean, he's obviously going to be quite present because the Bible pictures him as having his robes covered in blood by the time he's done. So. It's kind of sad that all those people are going to not come to Christ. Oh, uh, they're all people that have the mark anyway, and so there's no way for yeah. them to. Yeah. That's all right. Right. Yes, it's very sad that they chose this. All right, I've got to be done because I have to go. Alright, we never, we never got to chapter 6. It's so good, I'm sorry. Chapter 6 is so great. What's your question? Um, so you're saying, are you saying like, you believe that he'll like encircle the earth and then go in? So, um, does that also explain why people, I think it's in Revelation, we were discussing it last year in the Bible study about how, how every eye is going to see when he's coming. So that would explain it. 
Because that all the armies, all the armies of the And why do you think the armies are gathering? Because the Bible actually talks about it's about a thirty-day period that he's going to be walking around the earth in the sky, bring like pulling all of his people off off of the earth. Okay, um, you know. So so okay. So that's that's what's happening. He's, he's, he's making a procession around the earth in the sky, pulling the his people that are still alive and haven't had their heads cut off. Um, <laughs> most of us, most of us will be beheaded. Most of us will, even if we're here through the tribulation, which we will be. Um, uh, we, most of us, will be killed for our faith. I mean, that's just reality. Okay? But we're also going to have the greatest revival in the history of the church. So that's going to be so cool. intense. Um, are we going to have the option to fight back? Like, is that like a? To what? You know what I mean? I don't know. <laughs> is, I just yeah. Somebody come here. Fine, you want to cut my head off? You're gonna pay for it. <laughs> you know, like I'm down to die for God, but do I get to like throw some, you know, throw down in the process? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I. But it gets to the point where like the leaders and the rulers make you take the mark of the beast or get killed, then you're kind of like you don't really oh. fight. You just right, die. right. But you better put like three in my dome. Like. <laughs> what if? What if? Okay. What if you get held down and they put the mark on you? That's not possible. That's is that not possible? Right. The point is your is that you are worshiping decision. him. Okay. That's that's the point of they the mark. They want you to submit. Real quick. The mark is, a, is, is it, yes, they want okay, your submission. I just want to make sure because I was like, I'm not going to. The, gonna, the enemy right. wants your submission. They can't, he will not give it to you forcibly. He wants, just like Jesus wants you to say yes. It's, the enemy wants you to say it's like, so that. Would be he's like going to give you all the reasons to, to do it. You can't buy and sell if you don't. You can't. You can't, you know, so you're basically going to be starving to death, and so are your children, unless, now I don't think that's going to happen because the Bible also talks about us having all the same miracles that happened to the children of Israel during the, during the Exodus, so I think, we'll, gonna fall I think from we'll, heaven. we'll have like manna and we'll multiply food. You can't buy Since you have like a whole so revelation class, what do you think the mark, do you have any idea what you think like the mark is going to look like? I'll tell you what the Bible says. Okay, okay. I'm sorry, I can't hear Okay. The Bible says that it's. <laughs> the Bible says that it's a mark that you will get in your hand or in your forehead, right. that it will have either the beast's image or his number. Other than that, it doesn't say anything. And so we can conjecture all day long: Is it a microchip? Well, is it a barcode? Is it a QR code? Is it? Is it? You know, what is it? So what, don't take anything that goes in your hand or your forehead. Your no, you will be a choice. You aren't going to be able to take it on anything. It'll probably be government issued, and it will probably be presented as a new currency or a new way of. We'll see, but you should know it's the mark of the beast. We will know. Like you will know that it's. That's what I'm trying to say. There won't be any. Oops! I got the mark. I didn't know it was the mark. That's not. What if they do that thing where like, no. they say like all our records and all that stuff? I'm like, good. Do it, please. As long as long as I don't have to worship the Antichrist, go ahead. I'd love to have a chip like had on my credit cards and stuff on it. What if we're about what the Antichrist is? But you won't. The Bible says you will know. He will make himself known as you the Savior and the provider and the understand. unifier of the... He'll come but across the as Antichrist is the Savior, so it's kind of freaky. I don't want okay. to tell he'll you say, He'll say if, he's the Messiah. It will be obvious yes. to those who worship it's the true Messiah. By then, the, people who don't the know mark the doesn't come until after the abomination which causes desolation. So if a ruler, even if you really like him, if he goes into the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem and declares himself God, don't take his mark. Like, like all these things haven't happened.
it's going to be that obvious. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, but think about movie. this. Think about who you were when you weren't saved. And like, think about if you've never heard of Jesus or you never believed in Jesus. To people who never have, he this is, is like, is this it? Is this the Savior? What? Ready for, are you ready for this? Here we go. This is what's going to happen. Okay? Yeah, give me some. Are you ready for this? Okay, the Antichrist. Okay? When he first comes on the scene, and I believe that we will be here the whole time. When he first comes on the scene, okay? The first notable thing that he will do is he will bring peace to the Middle East. That's the first thing he's going to do. Right out the gate. Right out the gate. He's making peace in the Middle East. Okay? All right? And everybody's going to go, what a great guy. What an amazing guy. And that's... Exactly. He's going to bring peace to the Middle East. And... and, It's already written down. Hold on, hold on, hold on. As part of... As as part of... I'm recording it. Remember. As part of... Okay? As part of that tree that he makes... Okay, in the Middle East, most likely, and this is just hinted at in Scripture, but we know there will be a temple in Jerusalem for him to defile. We know this. Okay, right now that's not possible because the Dome of the Rock is sitting on top of the Mount Mount Moriah, and they can't build it. Okay, so Muslim holy land. Like yeah, Muslim it's a Muslim. It's, one, it's, it's like the third most holy mosque in in Islam is sitting there where the temple is supposed to be. But imagine. Okay. Imagine this guy comes along and convinces them to allow the Jews to build their temple right next to it. Can you see the postcards? Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. It's going to be everywhere. People are going to have t-shirts of the Dome of the Rock and the temple sitting right next to each other. Yes. Yes, it's all peace. But he's actually going to be able to... He's like going to have... Over the next... It's going to be a treaty that says for the next seven years, no one in in the Arab world will attack Israel. That's what it's going to be. Okay? Alright? In fact, no one in the world will attack Israel. That's basically what this treaty is going to say. And I think that it will also include the rebuilding of the temple. Because there's no way for that to happen right now. God may be... There's no way for peace right now without the rebuilding. Well, exactly. But, anyway. That's why it's going to look like such a savior. Exactly. He's going to bring... He's going to bring peace in the Middle East, which has never happened in the last 2,000 years. over there right now, too. Okay? Yeah. So, All right. like, so that's what he's going to do first, and everybody's going to say, what a great guy. Now, over the next three and a half years, he is going to push his idea revolution across the planet. Okay, The Bible calls it the spirit of Antichrist. It will be set loose. It also calls it the great delusion. Okay, It will be set loose in the earth. And do you remember the Arab Spring? Okay, Anybody with me on that? Okay. The Arab Spring. Multiple Arab nations overthrew their governments. Okay, So... There will be nations of the earth rising up, throwing their governments down and saying, we give our allegiance to this man. If he can do that, we want him as our leader because he's a peacemaker. He's not just a politician, he's a peacemaker. The Bible says that he will conquer through peace. Okay, so the, the world will be looking to him saying, this is the guy, he's our leader. This is, this, you know, and there will be whispers everywhere. Might he be the Messiah? Even the Jewish people will say it. In fact, I think the Jewish people will be very loud about it. That's so sad. It is sad. That's so crazy that it's all there. It's deeply sad. The warning would be enough to. Here's the problem. All these people are. Here's the problem, and this is this is the insidiousness of the pre-trib doctrine that makes me so mad because the church is going to be looking at this man going. He's a peacemaker. He's brought peace to Israel. We're supposed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, right? I think he's a great guy. Most of the church is going to say, And there's going to be people out here going, No, we're doing an idiot there. He 
Christ, wake up! And Jesus talked about the great falling away, did he not? This is when it happens. Right then is when when the church, in mass, the Catholic church will be first in line to say, yes, we love this man. Yes, we want him. Yes, this is, you know, we appreciate him. He is a godly man. They won't say he's God. They won't go that far. But they'll say he's a godly man, and we're so grateful for him, and he's bringing a new golden age to the earth, okay? And... And everybody's going to be all excited about it. And this idea of revolution is going to sweep the planet. And he'll be the most famous person on the planet. And then he'll be assassinated. But he's not. Yeah. No, he is. He is. But he, he, is. But he, but he, but he comes back, right? So we have his funeral. Hmm. Three and a half years after the treaty. Halfway through the treaty. And that's all very big. We have his, we have, right, right, right. Yeah, we have his funeral. Okay? On the steps of the newly rebuilt temple that he made happen. Okay? This is going to happen. We're going to see this. Right? We have his funeral. And halfway through the funeral, he sits up in the coffin. And he walks over to the microphone and says, I am the resurrected Christ. Oh! Worship me or die. And he walks into the newly rebuilt temple and puts a, an image of himself where the Ark of the Covenant should be. They won't have the actual Ark. Nobody knows. This just makes me hate the Ark. Knows. And later on in Scripture, the Ark reappears with Jesus when he returns, which is pretty awesome. Well, it was supposed to hold the manifest presence of him anyway, so why shouldn't it? They might have a replica of the Ark. But he's going to put him right there. He will go in there and put his own image in there and command that anyone that does not worship me does he must die. And as a part of that, he will consolidate his rule over most of the earth. Most of the earth. Not all of the earth. There will be places that aren't under his control. And is it- he will consolidate his rule over most of the earth. And he will, imp- he will put in the mark system. To show your loyalty to me. So we're very much at this point going to know. Yes, we will know. It's because he will have risen from the dead. It's and not like he starts with this off the bat. It's right. not going to no, no, start. No, no, that's cool. I just, I've never if he did, everyone, everyone point. Point. at one point, point people, people, he was just like, I'm God. That's, it's then. No, it's right no, there. It's then. I've never yes. been able to so visualize it. So technically, so then, okay, so even then the Antichrist isn't resurrected, it's Satan in the Antichrist's body because yes. he's Satan incarnate after he So resurrected. at that point, that's when Satan takes over? Yes. That's, then Satan yeah. is actually in the body. So, okay. And that's when because you before, it's just a pawn. Like, so I've question. Never, I've never had any of those. Like, oh, and, this, and this is a real question. Are you waiting for me? I am waiting for you, but it's okay. Okay, I'm sorry. No, it's all right. In those times, like people, okay, you hear like um, like doomsdayers and stuff, like load up on guns, load up on this, load up on that. In that time, when he's like, worship me or die, mm-hmm. as Christians, if people are coming for us, are we allowed to like proclaim war? Like on, like, like individual war? I'm not just trying to fight. No, 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 it just doesn't. That's weird. It just doesn't. Does that mean it won't happen? No, I'm, I'm sure that, that there will be Christians who will fight against the people that come after them. But you're not going to win. I think our children right. might be slain. I, I, think, I think we have to I've had, I've had multiple dreams of 
Gestapo agents holding guns to my children's head and saying, renounce Christ or I kill him. And I look at my son right in the eye and say, I love you. And he looks at me and says, don't do it, Dad. And I look at him and say, pull the trigger. I, oh my gosh, it's so crazy you say that. I have been talking with, um, I don't want kids. I have talked to, (laughs) all the women are like, we're not having kids. Very strong, very strong prayer warrior individuals that have said that the Lord's been like doing an awakening and going, many times Christians have been willing to be martyrs themselves, but are we rising up to the point where we'll be willing to sacrifice our kids? That's so crazy that you say that, because that's like the fifth time I've heard that, I've had that dream in the past month. Like multiple, multiple times. And I've had it probably said over me that I would be a martyr as well. But I've had the dream multiple times of my of my children. Now, I don't know what that's going to look like, because in the dream, they're usually the age they are right now. They're not like right. older. So that's obviously not going to happen, um, unless like we go on a missions trip somewhere or something. Um, but But I think the Lord's just trying to say to me, this is what we're talking about, and are you willing to do this? Do we have that kind of faith? Are we willing to take that kind of stand? All right, my friends. I love you. I'm sorry, but I have to go. Um.